Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Welcome to the Sickle Cycle Podcast, a monthly conversation about sickle cell disease. I'm your host, Charlotte Curtis. Welcome to the Sickle Cycle Podcast. There have been a lot of changes in my life since our last episode. I gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl in April. I have been enjoying time with her, and I am back and excited to welcome President and CEO of the Sickle Cell Association of America, Beverly Francis Gibson, to our August episode for the podcast. Beverly, welcome. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for having me. I am looking forward to our conversation. Great. So, Beverly, you have been a true leader, and I would like to start and understand a little bit more about the Sickle Cell Association of America. So could you tell me a little bit more about the history? Sure, sure. Um, Well, SCDAA, as we are affectionately known, was created in 1971, Um, and we currently serve as the nation's largest organization working full-time to resolve issues surrounding sickle cell disease. There were a number of stakeholders um, in 49 years ago who met in Michigan to discuss services for sickle cell disease um, individuals at the time. And at the conclusion of that meeting, um, they decided they were going to form an organization um, and decided that you know, it would be national and that's when SCDAA was born. So over the years, tell me more about kind of the strategy, the, the purpose, the mission, and how, how long you've been there. Sure. Um, so SCDAA's um, primary objectives are to provide universal leadership to create awareness of the impact of sickle cell disease on the health, economic, social, and educational well-being of individuals living with sickle cell disease and their families. We are um, involved with legislative advocacy efforts at the state and um, national levels. We actually hosted uh, a virtual advocacy day this year, which we could talk about a little more more later. And we have a number of programs that um, our office also sponsors, provides, and hosts. Um, One of the ones that I am most proud of, and we have many, but one of the ones I'm most proud of is our CHW um, training program. So we have trained over 250 community health workers. And what is great about this program is that you you do not have to be a nurse or social worker or, um, you know, someone in the medical profession. We actually prefer if you are just a layperson in the community wanting to be trained on how to be a community health worker. And so we have an 11 week curriculum that is um, you know, right now, of course, virtual. And it, it actually helps to prepare individuals for employment as CHWs. Many of our CHWs work with our member organizations and I'll talk about them in a second or within medical facilities. And what's great is that they are lay individuals who sometimes live in the community. They understand the needs of sickle cell disease individuals and their families. And they are a branch, if you will, to 
the services that individuals may be receiving from their provider. They're trusted, they understand what individuals are going through, and they serve as a support and an anchor for them. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we have 53 chapters. Um, 53 member organizations across the United States who are community-based organizations themselves. The member organizations are the ones that do the work on the ground. So they provide direct services to individuals and their families. They provide information and referral, advocacy. Many of them have summer camps for children who are living with sickle cell disease this summer. They have support groups for families who may not know that um, they're not alone or they may feel isolated. And so our intention is that through the member organizations, they are the eyes and the heirs of what's happening on the ground. They relay that information to us at the national level. And that helps me to stay abreast of issues that I need to be in front of and our organization need to be ahead of. They keep us um, honest, if you will, about issues that are faced by families and individuals. And a, a number of our programs and efforts come from the information that the member organizations provide. Many of them have been around much longer than SCDAA have. We have a number of chapters that are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And they are um, really amazing pioneers and individuals who are committed and passionate to supporting sickle cell disease every day. So SCDAA would not be SCDAA without the member organizations. Um, I wanted to share that we um, completed a, a large HRSA grant, and this was a newborn screening follow-up program that we were implementing for several, several years. Um, and it, it was a federal grant that we were, um, were given to provide um, follow-up services to individuals um, diagnosed with sickle cell disease. Um, and so 17, we call grantees, subawardees, provided underground services to families and individuals, follow-up services, made sure that they were referred to a medical home. They had an educational and support um, provided to them. One of the things that I've heard as president of SCDAA, and to answer your earlier question, Charlotte, I started in March of 2018, and it's felt like I've been here forever. I should tell your audience I'm also a family member. Um, so that's part of what brings me to this role. It's personal. Um, I have a cousin that died from sickle cell disease when I was in high school. I currently have um, a half brother who is living with sickle cell disease and I just learned about him in 2019. Oh wow, so it's a year after. Yes. Yes, he and president CEO of SCDAA. Exactly, and and the irony of that is that my family knows what I do for a living, um, but I use my family as an example that it's not being talked about. Um, when I started in 2018, and I was traveling across the country to meet with individuals living with sickle cell disease and families um, and community leaders, I was actually told that people were surprised to know that there was a national office focused on sickle cell disease um, awareness 
which is one of my big issues um, and, and things that I, I focus on. People were surprised in 2018 that sickle cell disease is still an issue. It is still a disease that many individuals are suffering from silently and needlessly. And I would admit also dying from because our healthcare structures aren't always supportive. Um, we are doing a lot of work. We, meaning SCDAA, is doing a lot of work on multiple fronts to help address some of the issues that have been systemic for so long for sickle cell disease patients. And so this newborn screening follow-up program was one effort that allowed us to create a national infrastructure so um, we could provide that support to um, individuals and families. We also have a, a peer-to-peer mentoring program and we um, match mentors and mentees who are typically between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, as you're going through that transition period, we wanted there to be um, a program that provided that support for individuals. And so we have about 12 mentors and mentees today that um, are connecting by phone, by email, by text. Um, the mentors have gone through that transition process successfully. And many of them can give that firsthand account of what it was like for them. They can provide some guidance, some coaching, and ultimately support so that um, anyone who's transitioning doesn't feel alone or, as you know, isolated because they have no one to talk to or no one that un truly understands what they're experiencing. So remarkable that all of these things are taking place within SCDAA, particularly the CHW program for health workers. You're providing an opportunity for advocacy and awareness, but also for them to allow their talents within the health system to be able to receive job training and opportunity yes. for economic development. Yes. And then on the other side of that is looking at the mentoring program that you mentioned. Are you current? Well, is the program currently looking for more mentors and more mentees to be a part of the program? Um, well, the irony is that we have lots of mentors, but we do not have enough mentees. And that has been one of the challenges that we have had surprisingly across the country um, is finding people who want to be mentees. And I should, I should share with your audience, we do provide a stipend to the mentors and the mentees for their participation. Um, so part of the problem that we have had, as I've said, is recruiting mentees. And one of the challenges that we're facing now is, is this a program that we should continue after December? It is slated to run until December of this year, but then my team and I will evaluate whether or not, um, it, you know, it makes sense because we know that there is a need. And we have tried, you know, connecting with all types of groups and partners and other organ patient organizations to help us recruit mentees, but that has been truly um, a struggle. So I wanted to, to share that. Um, I should share with your audience, um, some people have no idea that Sickle Cell Disease Association of America is based in Ma um, Hanover, Maryland. Um, we serve the country, we serve the United States, um, and we wanted to be close to Washington, D.C. for legislative advocacy efforts. Um, we couldn't afford D.C., so um, we're across we're across the bridge, if you will, 
um, in Maryland. And we find that that is that still allows us to have that robust um, legislative um, advocacy efforts that we that we need and that we should have on the Hill. I know you mentioned previously newborn screening program, particularly with the grant from the Health Resources and Service Administration within the Department of Health and Human Services. Yes. Uh, so previously, newborn screening, is that uh, a screening that takes place in all states throughout the U.S.? So there is legislation that any infant born in the United States has to be um, tested for sickle cell disease. Um, and this program is actually a follow-up to that. So what we have learned is that there are a number of families who find out that their child or you know, a family member has sickle cell disease. And they don't know where to go for information. They don't know what to do. Um, so this program is intended to provide that bridge for um, families so that they're not left wondering. Um, I've heard stories from families who are basically stumbling through looking for resources or connection. And we really are trying to ensure that that does not happen. Hmm. Um, I met an, a, a woman who told me it was three years before she found out about services in her community. And um, I believe that in 2021, that should not be the case. And that sickle cell disease, a lot of the advocacy work that I'm doing across the country, the sickle cell disease is and should be a household name, just as like cancer is. So that people are not really, you know, stumbling through trying to figure out, A, what do I do with this news? B, how do I support my family member or my child living with this disease? And that it's really, it's not a death sentence. Um, I think because people, again, if you hear the word disease, you automatically assume, as I would, that your life is over. And what we're trying to demonstrate across the country is that there's so many amazing individuals living with sickle cell disease every day who are making a difference, who are encouraging others, who are living their best lives, who are flying across the country, who are doing a lot of those things that sickle cell patients are typically told they shouldn't and couldn't do. Um, and so when I talked a few minutes ago about raising awareness, that has been one of my main goals as president of SCDAA. I want everyone to know about sickle cell disease. And I will tell you um, about sickle cell trait because we know currently that there are approximately 100,000 Americans living with sickle cell disease in the US, which means over 2,000 babies are born with the disease every year. However, there are over 2.5 million people who have no idea that they may be carrying the sickle cell trait. And what this means is that um, if you are planning to have an, a baby um, and you don't know what your status is and you don't know if your partner has the trait, you could invariably have a, a, a baby, a, an infant with sickle cell disease. And we know we can't stop um, people from having infants or babies and we don't want to. What we want to do is to ensure they know their status so that they can make decisions for their families and for their lives. It's so, so interesting that you brought that up because even for me personally, before my husband proposed to me, 
it was important to me as we were getting serious that I knew if he had sickle cell disease trait. Yes. Um, and one of the things is that I, I know in our communities, particularly African-American communities, is we've heard of sickle cell disease, but we really don't know what it is. I would have heard agree. that, oh, my cousin might have a trait, so I don't think I have it. And it's, it's really what you just mentioned. It's the importance of understanding your status. And so for my husband, he mentioned the same thing. He said, oh, I don't think I have it. And just thinking you don't have it is not enough for me because we don't know what the future may hold. Um, yes. And it's very critical to know and understand that so you're not blindsided on the back end of that. Yeah, because we also know that there have been a number of families um, who've basically, you know, fallen apart as a result because of blame, shame, stigma, um, and anything else that you could imagine because they didn't know. And so one parent is blaming the other parent. It's your fault while the child has sickle cell disease. And sometimes the person who's doing the blaming is the person with the trait. Mm. Um, but again, because they don't know, there's a lack of knowledge. Um, it makes it really, really difficult for families. And we're trying to, um, you know, ensure that that, that is not the case. Um, I also wanted to share with you our um, Medical and Research Advisory Committee. So SCDAA has a medical research and advisory committee that's comprised of researchers and providers um, from around the world. I think we currently have 40 members um, on this committee and they have been meeting weekly. Um, last year, they started meeting weekly when COVID, the COVID pandemic um, exploded across the country. They developed a number of advisories for patients, for providers, for caregivers, that have been translated into five languages. And those are all um, available on our website and um, are downloadable. And the intention was that with that informa this information is to be shared. Um, the MARAC, which is the Medical Research and Advisory Committee, um, also um, sponsored a number of webinars last year and this year about um, COVID-19 about you know children, um, mental health, and COVID, a number of webinars to, because people were so hungry. Many of us knew nothing about COVID, and I think we're still learning a lot. But the intention was to get in front of it and to share as much as we could with the community. We also had um, members of the community, individuals living with sickle cell disease, who were telling us what, what they were experiencing as a result of the pandemic. And the Medical Research and Advisory Committee, being very responsive, would create advisories based on what we were hearing or what we were being asked to share. Um, the group is now meeting every other week. Um, and most recently, we hosted a webinar on gene therapy. Um, it was a town hall that was hosted in, um, in response to um, an issue that we had with one of the pharmaceutical companies having to suspend um, one of their trials, gene therapy trials. Mm. And so the, the group tends to be very fluid, um, responsive, and, you know, they have their eyes and their ears on the ground because, like I said, they're providers and researchers. So they are keeping up with everything that's happening so that we can provide up-to-date information to our community. Thank you for sharing information in reference to the committee. And I'm glad that you brought up an important topic, which is COVID-19. Yes. And the impacts that it has had on the sickle cell community. Could you talk a little bit more 
about the response that you have been hearing from patients in the sickle cell community in reference to COVID-19 from a national level? Yeah, well, I, w- I would say, um, like all of us, March and April of last year was very, very scary. Um, in the sickle cell community, what I appreciated was that they adhered to the guidelines that the CDC um, and other government and state officials were um, providing to all of us. So the mask, uh, mask mandates, the sanitizing, hand washing, um, staying home, um, that was strictly, strictly, strictly um, adhered to by the sickle cell disease community because they understood that you know they had a propensity for um, getting the disease because of their um, sickle cell disease. So I was pleased to hear that many people really listened and adhered to that. But what was also happening was that we heard of cases where individuals had a crisis, had to go to the emergency room, and they were being placed on COVID floors. And so the reaction, could, as you can imagine, was, was very, very scary. Um, and we brought that to the Medical Research and Advisory Committee members because people were asking, what do we do? Um, and it's already isolating to live with sickle cell disease. And now you're being put on a floor with a pandemic that's killing people that you know very little about. And what the um, providers reassured us with was that it was actually better because they would get the attention and the care that they needed sooner. Um, One of the issues that I'm sure you've heard of, Charlotte and your listeners have heard, is that sometimes sickle cell disease patients are not believed when they go to the emergency room for care. Um, And we have been working with the Emergency Room Physicians Association to also help educate providers, um, emergency room doctors and nurses about sickle cell disease patients. I have patients who have texted me personally telling me that they're being escorted out of the ER by police because they're not believed um, when they go for help. And what's tragic about this for me personally is that we don't see this happening in any other disease state. You can have cancer or, um, you know, thalassemia or Crohn's and you show up at the, the hospital for care and people aren't questioning your motives or your agenda or your need for alleviation from pain. Um, And it's unfortunate that in the United States of America, we have patients that are still being affected every day by that. So we are working to ensure that we can help educate and inform physicians. And, And I would even tell you, some of the providers that we've spoken to have told us candidly, you don't learn that much about sickle cell disease in medical school. And so we have been working with some groups to look at how can we um, look at the curriculum um, that's being offered in medical schools. And we're doing that, of course, in partnership with other groups because one of the things I have always said since I became president at SCDAA is that we cannot do this work alone, nor do we want to. It, is, it, is, it has to be, and it is imperative that everyone in the community who cares about sickle cell disease come together um, to make a difference for those who are living um, with this disease. I would also share with you, um, we, have, we, have, we host a number of, I said like webinars, events, 
we had infographics that were intended to help children and their families understand um, COVID and what it meant for their mental health. There was a lot of reports of increased anxiety, um, depression, isolation, because again, people did not know what we were dealing with and, and or facing. And as you looked at the, the data across the country and how this pandemic was impacting lives, it would make sense that we would be terrified. I was. Um, and so we've been trying to alleviate a lot of those concerns by providing those, that information, those webinars, those advisories to keep people updated and informed. You touched on a key aspect with, in regards to COVID, the anxiety, the, the stress, the depression that takes place just from the isolation and also, too, not understanding what are the impacts of COVID-19 on me as an individual, but also the individual with sickle cell disease. And then you mentioned regarding the partnerships and how you can't do this work alone. And so following up on the partnership aspect, could you talk to me a little bit more about the strategic partnerships that you have within SCDAA to propel and, and support advocacy and awareness within the local communities? Yes, thank you for that question, Charlotte. So we have a number of partnerships. We work with government. We work with um, civic organizations. We work with fraternities and sororities. We work with faith-based groups. We work with industry. Um, the pharmaceutical industry, because we also spend, spend a lot of time helping to educate and inform them about sickle cell disease. We also bring patients and caregivers to participate in roundtables and ad boards so that they can share directly with companies and individuals their life experiences. Um, it is one thing for me to talk about it, but it's a very different thing for an individual living with sickle cell disease to share their story directly with others. We partner with other patient advocacy groups. Um, in April of this year, I announced that we had a new partnership with the consortium um, and that was focused on advocacy. Um, we partner with NIH, you know, so we are really intended to, and ASH, we're really intending to be, um, part of the solution for um, a problem that has existed far too long. That's great. You mentioned the different aspects in terms of partnerships and the critical need for partnerships. Can you talk about some of the drug developments in reference to sickle cell disease and cure options that currently exist? Sure. Um, so I am not a researcher, so that's my first disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, um, so we, I'm aware of at least 45 different therapies that are in the works right now for um, sickle cell disease. Um, one of the things that I always try to make sure that people understand is that we only have, only have four um, FDA approved um, drugs on the market for sickle cell disease in 2021. Um, and again, in comparison to other um, diseases that have, you know, 50 plus, we are still looking at a desperate need for more options for sickle cell disease patients. One of the projects that I am working on um, is a, a clinical trial um, finder, because one of the things that we also know is that in the African-American community, because of our history, 
with um, medical and ins academic institutions, we are not running to necessarily participate in clinical trials. And so the clinical trial finder is intended to not replicate what the government clinical trial finder does, but to really simplify it in a way that makes it easier for people to learn about clinical trials, um, find out what's out there. You can literally go in and put your home address um, in this finder and it will tell you how many trials are happening around your um, address, your proxim the proximity to your address. So you can put in a search for a 10, 25, 50 mile, 100 mile radius, and it will show you who's having sickle cell disease trials happening around where you live. You can directly communicate with the companies. So if you're interested in the, in the trial, but you have questions, um, there is a way that you can email and speak to someone directly or phone someone and speak to them directly. And that's some of the information that I've also been sharing with the companies. Um, in order to build trust, um, individuals who may be interested in clinical trials need to also understand what's involved. And when I say understand what's involved, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. So that they can make an educated decision with their family as to whether or not this is something they would like to participate in. Many clinical trials do not, get, do not finish because the patients, due to a number of reasons, may drop out. And if we do not have people participating in clinical trials, then ultimately we have less therapies to assist and to help them um, with their sickle cell disease. So we're encouraging um, education. We're encouraging um, people to learn about what's available out there. Ask lots of questions. Talk to your families. Make sure your family is a part of the process because the family is, a, is impacted by um, an individual being a part of a trial. Understand what it's going to mean for you in terms of work, childcare, your day-to-day your, your -day activities. What are some of the side effects, um, long-term and short-term, so that you are well-versed about what you're getting yourself into before you say yes. What is an IRB? You know, what is consent? Um, before you sign, speak to your provider so you get a well-rounded um, sense of what will be involved in participating in a clinical trial. So that's a part of what um, we're working on now. And we're doing that in, in combination with other, other groups. Again, not wanting to do this by ourselves. And I see the theme here of partnership, working together, particularly yes. with the, on the education front, but also research. Um, you mentioned earlier in reference to legislative support. Could you talk to me a little bit more about the legislative support SEDAA is currently um, working to support? So um, in April of this year, at our advocacy day, we announced um, four priorities. The first is we were asking for $25 million in dedicated funding for um, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Sickle Cell Data Collection Program. And that's to be included, we're asking, in the 2022 appropriations bill. Our second priority was um, we're asking for $15 million in funding for sickle cell disease treatment demonstration programs overseen by um, HRSA, Health Services and Resource Administration. And we also wanted that to be included in the 2022 appropriations bill. Our third priority was that we were asking men, um, Congress 
to mandate an annual hearing on the 2020 National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine report. This was the NASIM report that was um, distributed in 2020 called Addressing Sickle Cell Disease. It's a strategic uh, plan and blueprint for action. And we're asking Congress to mandate an annual hearing within the House Committee on Energy and Commerce and calling witnesses like um, the former Admiral Brett Gerard, myself, um, Ashley Valentine, who is a co-founder and president of Sixels, NASM staff, and other sickle cell disease patient advocates. So that was our third priority. And then fourth, uh, we were asking that the members of Congress reinvigorate and expand the sickle cell caucus. We've had a lot of traction on item number four, and we've had support from both um, the, the House and the Senate to um, reinstate, reinvigorate the sickle cell caucus and hoping that we can get that done before September, uh, which is sickle cell awareness month so that we can announce it to the community. Um, we would ask that the sickle cell caucus meet regularly and generate um, and sustain momentum necessary to address sickle cell disease issues through policy changes and legislation at the federal level. You brought up four different key items which is needed for legislative support. What do you think is the most critical need for the sickle cell community? Do you think it's one identifying how many people actually in the country have sickle cell disease? Um, I believe that, and this is something I've, I've heard since I started at SCDAA in 2018, um, data is, is key. And we need to know where individuals living with sickle cell disease are. Um, SCDAA has a registry, it's called Get Connected, where we, um, our goal was to try to get everyone to stand up and be counted um, by registering. And it doesn't cost anything to be a part of the registry. And it's a, um, a registry for adults and children so that we could get a sense of where people are across the country so that when we go to the Hill, we're not giving them just anecdotes, but we're actually showing them data and of where the concentration of patients are living and, and residing in the United States. Um, the Get Connected registry actually is now being um, updated and we are going to be um, doing some marketing and relaunching of um, the Get Connected registry. What we did recently, and we've been working on this for over a year, was that we have um, formed a partnership with One City Voice. One City Voice it's, is a, a curated digital library on anything sickle cell disease. And it has um, a Facebook-like component where you could chat with providers, you could chat with other sickle cell disease patients. What I wanted was to combine one is city voice and get connected so that you didn't have to sign up for both. You could sign up for one, but you would have access to the information in both registries. And um, I, should, I, I should say the digital library is, is, vet, is vetted by providers, by patients that's um, in one is city voice. So all of that information is um, you know, clinically sound and validated before it's actually put on the um, platform. One of the things we also did with One City Voice last year and other partners was that we created a um, clinical trial education center and we wanted it to be as comprehensive as possible 
So on One City Voice, there is a clinical, um, there is a there is a provider directory, sorry, that provides information about um, gene therapy from A to Z. What is gene therapy? What is involved? What are the side effects? What are the different types? So anyone going into One City Voice um, could see that information, but you could also access it through uh, Get Connected. So currently we have about 6,000 people um, in Get Connected. We had about 2,000 unduplicated people in one SED voice. Um, but I would like to see that number, of course, increase so we have a better sense of who and where people are. You mentioned uh, something exciting, which is September is National Sickle Cell Awareness Month. Yes. And I know that has to be a huge, busy time. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about some of the events that are taking place in September, some of the events that you're participating in um, personally? Yes, September is a crazy, crazy month for anyone in sickle cell disease. Um, at SCDAA, we are going to kick off the month with a sickle teeny happy hour on September 1st. Um, the Sickle Teeny Happy Hour, it's literally happy hour, 5.30 to 6.30, and it is intended to be educational and fun. We have a DJ who plays music. We have providers who um, provide some educational information, and then we typically have bartenders. I was a bartender last time. Oh, and I you, Beverly. <laughs> and I demonstrated how to make the Sickle Colada. Um and I am not someone who drinks. And so I, you know, I took a sip of it and it was very strong. Um, we do have um, a number of um, Sigaltinis planned for the year. And this one will kick off our um, September activities. We are also planning to host three Twitter parties in September. Um, our Twitter parties are September, um, September 9th, 21st, and 30th. And the Twitter parties are typically our social media promotion where we're asking people to tweet about a particular topic. So we give them the topic and we give them some threads that they can, um, they can tweet about for an hour during this, the, the Twitter party. Our hashtag, I should mention this, our hashtag for um, September is um, hashtag sickle cell matters. So all of the conversations and the events that we're planning will, will can be consisting of that hashtag. Um, the next we are, I'm hosting um, the sickle, sickle Cell Disease Therapeutics Conference on September 15th. And this is an all day conference, one day conference that we um, host in partnership with Global Blood Therapeutics. Um, and it will include patients. We have a patient round table um, we will have providers from around the world who will be sharing some updates and information. Um, and then in the afternoon, we have um, so a few um, industry leaders providing information about updates that they're working on on um, drug development and clinical trials. So that's September 15th. Then throughout the month of September, SCDAA will be showcasing patient videos um, so one video per week throughout the month of September, and we'll have a patient sharing their story. And our goal is to inspire and to motivate people to do something. So at the end of each video, there will be a call to action. Um, then we are hosting 
uh, sickle cell disease related trivia week question. Um, each week there will be a question that we will be sending out via social media and inviting folks to respond to on our social media pages. And I should tell you, we have um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and then our weekly e-blast. We have a newsletter that is sent every Friday to over um, 10,000 individuals across the country. Um, we're also speaking with um, another partner about possibly hosting a sickle cell disease congressional briefing on the Hill. Um, and there's more, you know, more to come with that. We're hoping by then, as I had mentioned earlier, that our sickle cell disease caucus will be registered and we can make an announcement um, about that in, in, in the month of September. And then we're also gearing up for our annual convention, which is October um, 12th to the 16th. And um, we have an amazing sessions being planned. Lots of patients will be involved and in sharing their stories. They will be providing um, commentary. They will be um, speaking on their individual experiences living with sickle cell disease. Um, the theme for this year's convention is unstoppable, working together for sickle cell disease. And so I invite your listeners to register for the conference. We're providing um, scholarships for um, patients and caregivers to attend. And we have an amazing lineup of events planned, educational programs planned throughout the day. And then in the evening, we're going to have some fun. Uh, we have the, a Pass the Mic karaoke contest happening again. Uh, we will have our gala um, that Friday evening. We are planning to have um, a camp for children on Saturday so that children could also participate in the convention. And we're hosting and talking about a number of important topics to the sickle cell community. COVID obviously is one of the sessions. Uh, we're talking about reproductive health um, for women and girls. And um, we will have our men's and women's panel. And this, will, this panel was very popular last year. Women from around the world living with sickle cell disease, men from around the world living with sickle cell disease participating on an engaging panel. And then we're also hosting our corporate leaders panel. So we've invited the heads of companies who have an interest um, in sickle cell disease to share with us what they're working on, what are their perspectives, um, what are their plans for the future, so that, again, the community can hear directly from them what, um, what is being planned. So we have a number of things that are being planned. Oh, I should mention that at our opening ceremony on October 13th, um, we will be crowning our new teen ambassador, Ayana Johnson. And Ayana is um, 13 years old, living with sickle cell disease, and she is amazing. And so we're inviting everyone to at least attend the opening ceremony so you could meet Ayana. We're going to show her video um, about the amazing work that she's doing. She lives in Virginia um, to help raise awareness about sickle cell disease. I'm excited for the theme, Unstoppable. I'm excited for the programs that are going to take place within the conference this year. And I participate in the conference in past years, and I've loved it. And this one seems like it's going to be the best one thus far. Oh, I'm, um, I am so excited. And, I, and, I, and what, I, what I love is that this is global. So our planning committee, convention planning committee, represents people from around the world, not just um, you know, people here in the United States. So they bring that perspective 
And because of that, we also have participants from around the world participating in the convention, which will be amazing. So we hope, I hope that your listeners will go online, sicklecelldisease.org is our website, and um, sign up, register to attend the convention. We have a number of amazing sessions planned. There's even a, a sickle cell disease 101 course for people who need to come back and do a refresher or learn about it for the first time. What I appreciate about participating in the conventions in past years and looking forward to participating in it this year is the opportunity to meet other people with sickle cell disease, understand some of the challenges and implications that take place, but also understand where the current trends. Glad you pointed that out, Charlotte, because we are going to have um, two days of clinical trial updates and drug development updates from companies. Um, and many of them are excited to have this opportunity to speak directly to the patient community and to share with them, you know, what their plans are and what they're working on. So that's actually another big highlight of the convention. So I'm, th- I'm thankful that you mentioned that. Is the convention going to be in person or is it going to be on uh, virtual? It's virtual this year. Okay. Um, because of, because of COVID and SCDAA wanting to be mindful and careful to not jeopardize anyone's health. Um, next year will be our 50th anniversary, and um, I'm praying that COVID behaves or the Delta variants behaves <laughs> and that we can have it face-to-face. For people who have never attended the convention, it is I consider it to be um, a welcoming family reunion. And so many people came up to me when I first started at SCDAA and said, you know, it is so wonderful that we can come together year after year. And we see the people that have been a part of the movement, if you will, for years, who come back every year. But I will also tell you that it is a moment to also reflect on the people who are not there from the previous year. Mm. You know, I do have um, a moment of silence during the opening ceremony for um, the warriors that we have lost from the previous year. And I used to keep a list but it was too painful Um, from one year to the next, just remembering. And if you look at the pictures of people who were there one year, but then you don't see them the next year. Um, And I would say to you, one of the benefits that we also have seen in terms of having the convention virtually is that for many years, there were people who could not attend for various reasons. And having it virtually gives everyone an opportunity to attend, it's recorded, you can come back and you can listen to it at your leisure if you cannot attend, you know, because of work or other obligations, but you could come back and you can listen to the sessions and the caliber of speakers and individuals who are part of this convention. um, We raise the bar every year and they meet it and exceed it. I am so proud of our convention and the work that our convention planning committee does to, to get us ready for this. Well, speaking of the convention, speaking of the work of your team and highlighting the efforts, programs, initiatives, I would like to say personally thank you for all of your hard work. If there are ways that uh, individuals, corporations, associations can support SCDAA, what, do you, what would you recommend they do? Um, I, would, I would suggest that they get in touch with, um, with me, obviously, or anyone on our team. Um, If you're interested in volunteering, we're also always looking for volunteers for convention, for the walk that we didn't really get to talk about, but is also raising money for research. Um, We have um, on our website, sicklecelldisease.org, 
um, a menu for volunteers. The, the volunteer application is on there and it actually will ask you specifically, you know, again, it's all around, it's all around your availability, your time, your expertise to tell us what you're good at and how you can help us. Anyone who would like to make donations to support the work of SCDAA, you can also do that on our website online. You can donate um, in tribute or in memory or in honor of someone. And we actually do recognize that. And we get we send thank you letters from me personally to everyone that donates to us. We ask you to participate in the events that SCDAA is hosting or we're co-hosting with our partners. We also invite you to support our member organizations. Many of them are planning amazing events throughout the month of September, throughout the year. If you're living in a community um, and you're not sure if there is a member org, um, go to our website. On the home page at the very bottom, there is a map of the United States and it currently lists all of the 53 chapters of SCDAA. Support them with their activities, their goals, Support them by volunteering. Many of them are grassroots organizations with very small staff. So I am asking anyone that's listening, that's in, in, I'm interested in, in being involved to contact me at SCDAA or contact our member orgs. Um, the chapter information is listed on our website and we will get you plugged in. And I really, really appreciate you, Charlotte. I appreciate everything that you're doing to continue the work. And I appreciate your sincerity. I appreciate being a part of your podcast audience and imparting any information that I can to um, help our community. That's so important to me and the work that I do every day. And I will, I say this and I mean it. I love my job because it's not a job. It's truly my passion. Thank you for listening to the Sickle Cycle Podcast.